Live from Beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics with occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public service, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by Democrat Bill Beverly, Republican Judy Sherwin, Democrat Michael Lieber, Republican Nick Calm and Libertarian Eric Cohn. Our program tonight coming to you from our base at WCGO Radio in Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number wherever you're listening from coast to coast. And before I go too much further, I want to thank uh, uh, Paul Lisnick for sitting in for me last Sunday night. Uh, I have uh, the last actually about a week ago Monday, I went in to get a little uh, a little wart removed from my tongue. And uh, the doctor initially said that would take probably about three or four days to heal. It's actually taken about nine or ten days to heal. And if you hear a little lisp tonight, that's because my tongue is still a little bit bigger than my mouth. And I'm in a significantly less pain than I was last Sunday night. But again, it's nice to be back uh, with you this evening. Lots to talk about. Uh, I want to begin. Uh, Phil Beverly and Judith Sherwin join us in hour number one. Uh, Phil is a liberal. Judith is a conservative. Uh, one is a college professor. The other is a lawyer. And Phil, I want to begin with you because... Uh, a Friday night here in Chicago, and perhaps people saw this all over the country, uh, there was a group that tried to tear down the Columbus statue downtown in downtown Chicago, Grant Park in Chicago, and uh, they were quite unruly. Uh, they began to throw rocks and water <clears throat> bottles at police. Things became uh, very uh, violent, and uh, there's been a lot of chaos, a lot of criticism of police action at that time. But I want to begin with you because one of the conversations I want to have this evening is is the difference between peaceful protests in the wake of what happened to George Floyd and everything else that seems to have been uh, sur- that has been surrounding that. So my question to you is how does tearing down the Columbus statue in any city in the United States how does that relate to the issues that that were brought forth nationally with the death of George Floyd? From a social justice perspective, the um, the statue <clears throat> and Columbus represent, at least to indigenous people, uh, oppression. And I didn't really understand that beyond sort of the, the intellectual until I was at an event at the university and a young uh, native woman spoke to the pain that she feels every Columbus day when the, this guy is celebrated um, essentially for getting lost, but for bringing um, to her people what could only be characterized as genocide. And it wasn't until I heard her words that I got the, that there's a visceral reaction to, to that statute. So does the, tearing, know, is the, does the tearing down of the statute and everything I'm sure you saw on television, like a lot of other people, does, does that... Does that photograph, does that image, does that help those social justice warriors that want to make sure that police are not brutalizing black people when they're arrested? Yes or no? The the tearing down the statue? <clears throat> no. And for you know, full disclosure, I agree that the statue should come down. And what I was telling one of my police officer friends who, who showed me the original video is there's a process that we have that lawlessness cannot be acceptable 
on, on either side. You cannot have police lawlessness and you cannot have mob rule lawlessness. And, and both are equally wrong. All right, let's go to Judith Sherwin. I want to get her reaction to to the question and also uh, uh, to the video that I I, I assume you have seen because it's been all over network television in addition to uh, dominating Chicago television. Uh, yes, thank you, Bruce. Thanks for having me on again. I um, <clears throat> I mean, I had a visceral reaction to what I saw on television Friday night. Uh, first of all, there is a process in the country and in every municipality to determine whether or not a certain statue is going to be on public property. And, and that process has to do with people getting together, having voting on it, and deciding what they want to do. It's not just something that one person or one group of people, because they have a bad reaction to Christopher Columbus, can decide to to throw ropes around the top of the statute and pull it down. That's number one. Number two, what was going on on Friday night, I don't know how anybody could criticize the police. The police were in the middle of a riot. There were things being flung at them. <coughs> there were firecrackers going off around them. There were bottles being thrown at them. Um, I mean, what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to stand there and say that's okay? Phil, I mean, what are, well, Phil let me ask Phil. Phil, what what are they supposed to do in your view? When when that's happening to police officers, and you mentioned that you have friends who are uh, officers of the law, what are they to do in your opinion, Phil? They have policy as a as a law enforcement agency on what to do. And one of the things that that I asked my <clears> my friend about was did the, when did they disperse tear gas? Because you need to break that crowd up. Right. When it's getting to that situation, I would rather have tear gas injuries than it escalate into somebody getting shot and possibly killed. And he told me that Which the, did not the superintendent that did not is the happen. only one who can do that, and he did that. And so I think that was appropriate. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't really hear the answer. Um, did you say they used tear gas or they didn't? They did. They were authorized by the superintendent to use tear <clears throat> gas to break that crowd up. Okay. And, I mean, they also used pepper spray. Um, and they did other things to protect themselves. I mean, it, it, it was a horrific situation. With, with I want to go. I, I want to go. I want to go back to my initial question because, uh, again, it seems to me that we have. Uh, there's a lot of conflating that's going on. It's going on, uh, you know, led by uh, by the mainstream news media, I believe, because there is there was the original uh, concern and protest that started. Uh, many of them, poli- uh, you know, peacefully, uh, you know, challenging and 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 protesting against what happened in Minnesota. And then you have those that sort of glommed onto that, and they just say, no, we're going to make this about tearing down Confederate statues, and then we're going to make it tearing up about Columbus, and then we're going to make it tearing tearing down uh, George Washington and Francis Scott Key, and then you have Antifa people dressed in, in black uh, masks, and, and they're tearing up Portland, Oregon, as they did uh, several other cities, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So it seems to me you that you have a wide variety of people that are out there on the streets protesting things, and I'm wondering if they're making if 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 they're uh, are they screwing everything up? Are, are they putting it all together so that if someone who's home watching television, uh, they may not know the difference between a peaceful protester or someone that's uh, you know a member of Antifa, Phil? 
I think that the, that's the, the, the media's job <clears throat> is to draw those distinctions and to not accept that mob rule is somehow okay. Are they doing a I good job of that? Are they doing a good job of that, frankly? No, they're not. I mean, the, the answer is that everybody who goes into one of these mobs and starts tearing down a statue is called a protester. They're not protesters. What's going on in Portland is not a protest after 50-some days. It is an insurrection, and it is something that needs to be put down by the federal government. Under the Constitution, the president has the power to do that. I hate to... I've got to, I've got to pause. Judy, I've got Judy, I've got to pause. 1-800-723-8029. Let's get everybody else involved in our conversation. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Back. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number. We have a caller already. Let's bring Eduardo into the conversation. He's listening from Chicago. Go ahead, Eduardo. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. Yeah, I was telling your screener, this process needs to go through city councils of the different cities mm-hmm. uh, to be voted on. Uh, they want to remove something. And okay. they should let's, have protests let, outside let's, the Let's yeah. let's stop for a second. Let's go to Phil. I think Phil alluded to that earlier, but uh, Phil, that seems like a a reasonable thing to do. But sometimes people in the streets don't want to. Uh, they don't want to spend a lot of time on stuff like that. And I, I think that's the the part about our civic engagement that is really absent in our country, and I think has been for a long time. Because apparently, there's some sort of mythology out there that voting is the only important thing that you do. It, no, it's the participation in the process at all levels. And that's really what's absent. And when, when you have aldermen <clears throat> in the city of Chicago that have been open about supporting, oh yeah, tear it down, that, that's, that can't stand. That just can't stand. They have to be called out for that. Right. And again, we have a significant, you know, we have a number of democratic socialists uh, in the city council in Chicago. And so a, a vote on whether or not we should get rid of, uh, you know, uh, uh, the statute or not. I mean, I think that would be a lively debate and I'm not so sure how it would, uh, how it would turn out. Judith, thank, uh, Eduardo, thank you for your call. Judith, I want to go back to your history because you've alluded that uh, a number of times on this program, you and I have known each other for a long, long time. And if we were to turn back to 1968, when there was this huge demonstration 
between the police and 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 disruptors and uh, in the streets, uh, the, the 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 riots that that followed the 1968 or during the 68 convention. You were on one side. You were you were a protester. You were an anti-war protester. So you, you were on the other side of of at least the philosophical and the psych, the philosophical argument you're making this evening. But uh, do you see similarities between uh, how you were treated back in 1968 and how people were treated uh, at Grant Park the other night? Uh, not really. I mean, look, first of all, the way we were treated in 1968, most people, most people uh, conducted themselves quite differently than the people that you saw at Grand Park the other night. I remember marching down uh, State Street, getting to, uh, excuse me, Michigan Avenue, getting to 18th and Michigan, and we were told we couldn't go any further because there was going to be tear gas after that, okay? So we kept walking, and yes, indeed, there was tear gas. And so people backed up. They ended up going back mm. into the park. Nobody went out and threw bottles at the police. Nobody went well, out. Well, no, that's and, not, and Judith, I'm going to, that, that may not have happened where you were. But again, at Michigan Avenue and Balboa, which was where people were chanting, the whole world is watching. I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly, that's exactly what was happening the other night. People were throwing rocks, they were throwing bottles, and and the police had to respond. And they responded in in a very aggressive way, just as they did in 1968. Well, they, I was in the National Guard. I know, I know what happened there. Well, I know what happened there, too, and I was in the park at Balboa, Michigan. I was across the street from the Hilton Hotel, all right? I didn't see any police running into the park to attack people. Now, last, and I didn't see any people running out of the park throwing rocks and bottles at the police, either. Certainly nobody in my area was doing that. Okay. What you had the other night, what you had in 1968, very, very aptly, was called the police riot because the police were given very different instructions in 1968 than they have been given now. The police in the year 2020 are not permitted to respond to violent acts that come from protesters. There's one other point I want to make. There's a difference between somebody who's a demonstrator and a protester. A protester is someone who thinks they can employ violence as this group is doing, these are not demonstrators. They are not demonstrating okay. anything I, I just, other than their okay, need fine. to violently attack the police. I don't. I, I don't. I don't want to. Uh you know, relitigate the 1968. Uh, the anniversary well, of that is coming either. up. There will there will there'll be lots of video. There will be there will be lots of videos about that. And and something that has been said is, uh, and I want to get your reaction, Phil, is that in 1968 it it did wake up uh, what was described as a silent majority. These were people that were home watching all this on television. And I ask you, in in this political year as 1968 was. Uh, do you worry, as a Democrat, do you worry that maybe a lot of Americans are being riled up by what they see on television, and they see that as lawlessness, and they see a president who is, is at least speaking about uh, ending uh, the, the the violence in the streets? Yeah, I'm not worried. I, I, I just okay. got to tell you, I mean, can you can you trust anything that, that this president has to say really? I mean, yeah, he wants I to think deploy I can, maybe law not, enforcement yeah. to Portland without, without them identifying themselves, which creates a very difficult situation. I mean, I'm glad Judith brought up the the uh, the word insurrection 
because I just checked that in the, in the U.S. Code, 18 U.S.C. 2383. And I, I was just curious if what's going on in Portland actually meets the legal standard of the statute. Um, and I, and I'm not there in Portland and I'm getting the sense that, that a lot of what's being attacked is the federal building there. So it might be a rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the U S then he has obviously the right to protect federal installations, snatching people up off the street without being able to identify themselves. That's a little questionable. Well, there's, there, the, there's, 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 well, we first, first of all, let me, let me hold one second. Wait a second, Phil. Phil, let me. Phil, one second. But before Judy, Judy, one second. Judy, one second. I just want to clarify something. What you're just a second. I'm going to give you an opportunity. But Judy, calm down. I want to make a point here, and that is that in in as far as what is happening in in Seattle or in Portland, rather, we're not seeing it. We're not seeing it live on television very often anymore. Because of because of the delay in, in in time, but and we also do have conflicting reports about what Phil just alluded to, and so let me ask you: Do you see Judy anything wrong with at least the the written descriptions of what the federal government and protective forces are doing in Portland? Which again, following up on what Phil said, there are allegations that people are being uh, you know picked up uh, by uh, by federal officers without identification. So if I can respond to yes. that, first of all, um, with respect to the legal opinion that's been expressed, uh, I would beg to differ with it. There is indeed an insurrection going on. There is indeed violence against the authority of the United States. And that is indeed why the federal government has gone in there to stop it. All right. Now, there is a there was a tweet, one tweet I saw it on the internet of a group of Antifa protesters, and all you saw was the end. What you saw was a, several federal officers in fatigues who were later identified as Border Patrol agents who picked up a guy, put him in the back of a van, and took him away. All right? There is good reason why these officers would go around in unmarked cars. They've been burning police cars and federal cars all over Portland. There is an insurrection going on against the authority of the United States in Portland. It's not only going on by the people in the street. It's going on by the mayor of Portland who will not let the federal officers do their job. All right. Now, if they want to destroy Portland, Oregon, and they're okay with that, and the citizens of Portland, Oregon, are okay with that. Well, maybe they're going to wait like the people in Seattle did until their neighborhoods were completely right. destroyed. Right. Let's let let's let Phil respond. And several people got killed. Let's let Phil respond. Phil, your response. I, uh, June, let's be clear. I didn't say that there wasn't insurrection. I'm just curious about the the the. Does it meet the provisions of the statute or not? 
It means and it's, it's my understanding that to meet the provisions of the statute, it has to go through a legal process. So I can ask the question, but nobody else but a judge gets to make the determination well, about whether it is true. or it isn't. That is absolutely not true. Take a look at the president's powers under the Constitution of the United States. He does not have to wait for a judge to tell him it's okay. When the South fired on Fort Sumter, President Lincoln did not wait for a judge to tell him it was okay. When a bunch of people wearing, not stop, when a bunch of people wearing black masks attacked a federal enclave in the city of Portland, the President of the United States does not have to wait for anybody's permission to prevent that. That is his constitutional obligation. And it's time to stop sitting there and supporting these thugs that are running around in the street that are destroying this country. There is are, a are you accusing me of supporting the people doing this, Judith? I'd ask you to retract like that. That's completely that. One a Phil, Phil, one second. Phil, Phil, go ahead. You're on. Phil. That's a misrepresentation, Judith, and you know it. So I, I am expecting a retraction of that. I never said that I supported lawlessness. Quite the contrary, if you were listening to anything that I said. I listened to what you said. You're not supporting lawlessness. You're supporting sitting around and waiting to figure out what to do about it. This I'm supporting asking intelligent questions. That's what I'm supporting. Then go read For a president who has taken no action on critical things like protecting our voting rights, I find this a little disingenuous. Oh, read the Constitution Let's take of the United States. Folks, folks, Judith, folks, 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 please, States. folks. Folks, please, each of you, go to your corners. We have to break. We'll be right back. And again, let's have one talker at a time. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us. I see that uh, Chris Broyles is uh, listening or watching the show this evening. And Chris Broyles, once upon a time, was the uh, producer of this program. And a long, long time ago, when no one, including yours, truly knew much about the Internet, he came up with the idea. He said, let's, let's take this show that we do on radio and television in Chicago and let's put it on this new thing called the Internet. And so we did it. It's a, it was a long time ago. I want to say, uh, I don't even want to guess the year, but it was long before anybody knew what it was. And uh, so we put the program on then, and it's been on ever since. And so uh, uh, this has been described as the very first internet 
our regularly scheduled talk radio program, our internet program in the United States. And I just saw that the man that came up with that idea is listening to us this evening. So, uh, Chris, I thank you very much for your visionary thought many, many years ago. Let's take a moment now and let each of our guests, it's a very spirited conversation this evening, and I would only ask them as well as all guests because of this situation involving Zoom, if we could have one speaker at a time, I'll be the referee, I'll try to be fair, but again, let's have one person talking at a time. And right now, uh, Phil, uh, the floor goes to you to briefly describe who you are and how you got here this evening. What 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 brings you to the, to the conversation? I'm a political science professor and assistant vice provost at the University of Illinois. I've uh, taught political science for the last 29 years. And Judith Sherwin, go ahead. Uh, I am Judith Sherwin. I'm an attorney in Chicago. I also teach uh, law school. Um, one of the things I teach is um, First Amendment course as well as business ethics and uh, legal ethics. Great. Thank you for joining us this evening. On the line with us now, one of the great things about this program we are on in Portland, Oregon, we have a listener calling David from that great city now. And David, give us a report. What's happening in your hometown at the moment? Well, I haven't been uh, downtown for any of the protests. I've just been down there during the day uh, to to kind of look at the the damage. Uh huh. And it's 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 a mess. I mean, there's half half the places are all boarded up, and it used to be a, a really pretty downtown. Uh, is there a the, sense of fear? Is there is there a sense of fear that you or your neighbors have, David? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, the, we're pretty used to this. It's it's pretty regular, but it's it's just you you can watch the place just it's just falling apart around us. Uh-huh. And and uh you don't see very many police or any there's just nobody doing anything about it. And it's it's really sad actually. How is uh, how is tele how is how is television to the local stations that I'm sure you watch uh, in Portland? How are they reporting on uh, the involvement of federal authorities coming in to protect federal property? What, what are you what are you gleaning oh, from that coverage? Oh goodness, it's it's ju- it's just uh, it's very slanted. It's it's. Uh, uh, you know this idea that that the federal government has no right to be here, uh, uh, and you know essentially that 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 uh, they're they're violating you know the 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 rights of the locals to uh, take care of the the problem, but the locals uh, and our mayor and whatnot they're not doing anything. But are are people riled up at the mayor or the or the governor for not? Sending in the National Guard. I mean, it's been going on for fifty days now. I mean, who are your neighbors? I, I, if you want to describe your politics, feel free to do so. But I mean, are your friends and neighbors are they are they riled up? Are they angry at a local political leader for letting this happen or not? I would say some probably probably a minority. And, and then there's there's you know a certain sense uh, among I would say just generally that to let it play out, uh, uh, but also uh, most people here live you, you know not downtown, uh-huh. so y- you don't necessarily see it because no. it, it is mostly in in 
certain areas. Rather and it's than, mo- and it's mostly it's uh, mostly at night as well. Yes. Yeah. And, and this, these things generally happen at night. Now, a perception that I have in Portland, I want to get uh, Judy and uh, and Phil to respond to this as well. But the perception that I have of, of watching, you know, Portland almost for a couple of months now is that uh, uh, it is it is an Antifa anti-government um, uh, uh, unruly crowds uh, or mobs. It's much more so than a Black Lives Matter a protest against George Floyd. Is that a fair perception that I have? I would say that's absolutely true. Phil, I go to you. I, would you seen... I want, I want, hang on just a second. Phil, I want to go to you and ask that same question because the other evening uh, when we described what happened at, at Columbus, uh, the Columbus statute in Chicago, uh, there, were, uh, there were a few uh, blacks that I saw in the crowd. There was one with a, with a megaphone. Uh, who at least got a lot of publicity, uh, at least on the video that I saw. But the vast majority of people that I saw there uh, were white kids, and the people that were protesting uh, near the mayor's house, Mayor uh, Lightfoot in Chicago last night on the north side, the vast majority of them were white kids. Uh, is that your perception of, of, of what is what you're seeing as well by watching on TV or going there? That's pretty much what I've been seeing. And it's been very interesting, the shift, because it's not like the George Floyd killing was somehow a new phenomenon or new event, given that, you know, this is six years later after Eric Garner's death in New York, right? So this is, this is a, a, a continuing phenomenon of, of this police misconduct, shall we say. Um, but it's usually been localized to African-Americans talking about African-Americans. And now for some reason, this feels different. And I don't, I can't figure out what the variable is here that has sort of flipped this to make more people, especially white Americans, more interested and involved or whatever. Judy, how do you... For the the troublemakers, it's just an opportunity to be troublemakers. Judy, how do you... How do you... you, how do you see this? Because, by the way, the other thing that we've not seen, although it, it did occur on Saturday night in Chicago, there was also, after this uh, a demonstration, the unruly demonstration that, that got out of hand at the Columbus statue, there was a looting of a store just about, uh, actually, about a mile down uh, the street on Michigan Avenue. Both took place on Michigan Avenue. Uh, there was looting of a store. And uh, the looting also brings in a different group of, of, of people. But my question to you, Judy, is what is the perception you have of who's out there in these various demonstrations and, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, blow-ups that we're seeing from coast to coast? Well, I think that a lot of this, I, I think one of the elements that, that you can't ignore is the whole coronavirus lockdown business. Uh, okay. People have been locked up since March in many ways. Uh A lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people are very uncertain about the future, uh, particularly young people. And uh, I mean, I would say most of those people in the crowd, they they don't, if you ask them who George Floyd was, or better yet, if you ask them what the name of the gentleman who was killed in Minneapolis was, they couldn't tell you, all right? And they probably couldn't tell you he was killed in Minneapolis. So this has nothing really to do, I think, with Black Lives Matter as such. Because if it had to do with Black Lives Matter, it would have to do with all Black Lives Mattering. And apparently 
certainly we know in Chicago that's not true. No, I feel my would be yeah. would be uh, demonstrating in front of the mayor's house. Right. I have no idea because she certainly doesn't seem to be unsympathetic to what is going on. Even though she would like to bring her city, I hope she'd like to bring her city back under control. Uh, Phil, uh, to you, the other the other big story that it, it, it's gotten national publicity now is the number of uh, murders that take place uh, in Chicago's African-American communities. A lot of young children have been shot and killed. And, and, and yet there is a, there's a, a level of irateness uh, that is out there within the African-American communities. But it complete it appears to be completely separate than the frustration and anger that is out there regarding George Floyd or police brutality. Could, could you put some meat on that, on that comment for me? I, I, I think there's probably a couple things going on that when you have the mis, the level of mistrust that you have in the black community with the police and crime happens within that community and only the police can in, in a legal sense, bring some resolution to that, that doesn't happen. We don't, the, the closure rate for the murders in Chicago is in what, the 20% area mm-hmm. or so. Right. So these are crimes that go unsolved because you don't have the kinds of relationships that make them solvable. The, the, the other thing that we, we, we just don't want to talk about is the prevention efforts that, that you need to be able to prevent some of these crimes that start with education, that continue into jobs, that continue into housing. And until we want to have those hard conversations about that, we're going to continue to see this, unfortunately. You can have that, Phil. I would agree with that, uh, that there are systemic issues that underlie all this. But the other reality is, even if all of those things were to magically improve within five or ten years, the reality is you will have gang elements uh, you know, in, in areas all over the United States that will be looking at communities and they'll be looking at turf and they will be using their intimidation to make sure that people don't step up and cooperate with the police. Uh, the only uh, exception that I can recall just, you know, literally within the last few days in Chicago was there was this uh, horrible story of a, of a young a man uh, being shot uh, on the, I believe, the south side of Chicago. And uh, there was video, there was some security video of the guy running away from the scene of the crime. And you know what? The police found that guy within 24 hours, and he was charged, and I believe they found an accomplice as well. But the big difference there, which is always the case, is there was video. They were not relying on on community leaders to provide, uh, you know, evidence and, and testimony. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. 
But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont Beck, thanks very much for joining us. Let's go to Sam in Austin, Texas, listening to us on KLBJ. Go ahead, Sam. Hi, Bruce. Um, uh, great show as usual. Thank you. And I wanted to say that I, I saw in, in Denver, I uh, was there recently in the downtown area, some, some small, very quaint homes where some very well-to-do people and, you know, small homes near downtown. And a lot of them had Black, si- Black Lives Matter signs in their windows and most of these people were young white, I would say liberal thinking, mm-hmm. and I don't have any problem with liberal. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a conservative, but I, right. I agree with liberal things as well. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, I think it's a way of uh, like these protesters, uh, the, the kids that are growing out there. I, I suspect a lot of these people in the Denver area that I saw that had those signs. I don't think that they may they, they may not have had too many relationships with uh, black Americans or, and, and so they're, they're, they're really, really alienated. So they're trying to do something to say that, Hey, we don't want to be a part of, uh, the badness. Uh, we don't really know you that well, but well, we want to stand with you. And so they're kind of like pleading guilty and innocence at the same time by taking the stance that they're taking. Uh, Phil Beverly, your response uh, to that assessment by, uh, Sam. Yeah, I, I think what's, What's been interesting in this last sort of few months is this uh, convergence of the pandemic, which has really sort of focused our attention because of the the sort of lockdown, semi-lockdown that that most parts of the country have been involved in. And that when an event like George Floyd or uh, Ahmaud Arbery um, or uh, Ms. Taylor in in, uh, Louisville happened, Breonna Taylor happened, we can focus on it. It doesn't get lost in the noise of everything else that's happening. And I think in addition to, to that focus, when you have video of an officer kneeling on the neck of a handcuffed suspect on the ground for eight minutes and 46 seconds, most, if not all, reasonable people believe that that is probably excessive. Right. And so I think that, that it, was, it was sort of a, a focused wake-up call that says, yeah, I, I don't know my black neighbors. I don't really know my black colleagues at work. I've never been to their homes. I don't know their kids' names. I'm not in relationship with them. And what they seem to be experiencing as a group does seem to be way beyond what's acceptable in, in, a, in a liberal, small-L democracy. Phil, do we also need in this particular case, because I, I agree with you, and I said this right after the, the incident in, in Minnesota, and, and that is, I think the vast majority, I mean, in the 90 percentile, people were repulsed by what the police officer did in, in Minnesota. Uh, and yet w- what's happened in that, uh, so many people have glommed on to that protest, and, and it, it's, it's conflated now where people are confused by it. Do, do the leaders of Black Lives Matter, the political movement, uh, do they need to stand up or should they have stand up more, stood up more in the past several weeks to denounce the other violence that's taking place 
uh, in the wake of that, whether it's looting on the west side uh, of, of Chicago or south side of Chicago, or whether it's uh, Antifa, or whether it's these these other uh, uh, matters of, of uh, uh, a woman who's indigenous who's upset with Col- Christopher Columbus, should they have been more? Should they have sent out a clarion call that hey? We want to focus on our issue at the moment. Don't cock it up for us. I, I think that they may have attempted that, and yet some of some of that messaging is going to get co-opted by by forces outside of them. Um, the police officer that I was telling you about was at Trump Tower when, when the Chicago rioting was happening a yes. few weeks ago, right? And he said that he saw instigators in the crowd. Oh, yeah. So you have black and white protesters. And he sees a white protester instigating, egging on a black uh, demonstrator there to to commit violence. So it seems like, well, wait a second, that doesn't seem right that somebody in the crowd is is attempting something violent. And trying to use somebody black to do that. Okay. Let's that's, Judith, just, that's, uh, un, that's unconscious. Judith, sure, when you're trying I, to break I, in I, her. Go I ahead. I'd really like to respond to that. I Go mean, ahead. I think that there are a lot of ways that messaging could get out. And I really don't think much of an effort is being done to make that get out. I mean, we need to separate out the Black Lives Matter protesters who may have, who do have a legitimate complaint. Right. With respect to encounters with the police, all right, from those instigators and from people behind the scenes who we don't even know who they are. Right. Which is something that the Justice Department is trying to figure out. But one of the things that I find extremely disturbing, all right, is the Democratic Party is dead silent about this. Nancy Pelosi says in response to a comment about whipping down a statue, people are going to do what people are going to do. What does that mean? She called them Gestapo and stormtroopers. And and that kind of message is not getting out because people like Nancy Pelosi and even Joe Biden don't have anything to say about this. They don't have anything to say that would make anybody believe they do anything other than support the violence in the street. And there is a silent majority, and it's been awakened. It's not running around making a lot of noise, but I think you're going to hear from them on November 3rd. So I wouldn't laugh about that. By the way, the way uh, Tony Preckwinkle, who is the chairman of the Cook County Democratic Party, she blasted the police officers, the violence. She called the violent police officers... Uh, the other evening at, at uh, the Columbus statue, and it was <laughs> all it was all focused. I mean, violent, they focused didn't do anything. Them. They stood there and we've got to pause. We've got to pause. Judy, Judy, we got to pause. The hour is over. Judy Sherwin has joined us. She's represented us on the right, on the left this evening. Phil Beverly, we thank you very much for being with us as well. In the next hour, we're going to hear from Democrat Michael Lieber, Republican Nick Calm, and Libertarian Eric Cohn. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Another full hour of Beyond the Beltway coming up right here.
what is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games. But I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Bruce Dumont back in Evanston, Illinois, with hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. And in this hour, we're going to be joined by Michael Lieber. He is a Democrat. He is an attorney. Also, we have Eric Cohn. Uh, he is a, an outspoken conservative and a talk show host, or, or a libertarian, and a talk show host on WIND Radio in Chicago. And Nick Calm, who runs a reputation, who runs Reputation Partners. He is our card-carrying conservative Republican gentleman. Nice to have you with us. Uh, Eric, I want to begin with you because I know you were listening to a, a portion at, uh, of the first hour, and I want to give you an opportunity to sort of respond to the, the theme of, of, of that hour, which was uh, sort of the, the way in which the media sort of conflated uh, all of the various uh, protest elements that are out there in, in America. How do you see uh, uh, what's going on in the streets of the cities of the United States? 
Well, we're conflating a lot of things, which I think is a problem. Yes. So I, I think you need to identify first that there is, um, I thought about my experience with the Tea Party movement back in the early 2010s, where you had an organizing ethos, you had a kind of a call to action in local organizing, then you had larger groups. And I would have been, you know, I think that it's completely defensible to say Black Lives Matter. That's a true statement. It's something we should all agree with. And people who take objection to the actual political group that's been formed around that is a different question. So I think we've conflated not only the organizing ethos and a political organization, we have conflated the people who are there for a specific cause with opportunists who have turned it into an opportunity for violence, rioting, and looting like we saw here in Chicago. Um, we have a whole lot of things being jumbled together and not a whole lot of people endeavoring really on any side, to try to separate these things out. And what it does is turns into a distraction from what I think we should be focused on, which is the policy opportunities at hand here, where we could come together on something like quali ending qualified immunity. I think we could get broad agreement on that. But here we are arguing over rioting, over tearing down statues, which has nothing to do with anything that led to the deaths of people like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, and it's a shame. Michael Lieber, how do you see what's happening in the country? Well, I think when we when we talk about these riots and looting, we have to remember that what we're talking about is a very, very small section of what's going on in this country. Uh, in Portland, Oregon, for example, over uh, the last couple of days, there's been rioting. Uh, but that's in about a four square block area of downtown Portland. You go eight blocks away and people don't even know that it's going on. You go 10 miles away out into the suburbs, nobody has any idea. If you're here in Chicago or Tennessee or Maine, it just doesn't affect you. So I think we have to focus on the fact that, yeah, there was some looting in the first couple of days after the George Floyd and Black Lives Matters protests started going. But now mostly it's just peaceful protests by people. So I think we're really needing to focus less on this so-called rioting all over the country and really more of the kitchen table issues that everybody's dealing okay. with right now, like are my kids going to be able to go back to school? Am okay. I going to have a job? Am okay. I going to be able to visit my elderly parents this summer so their grandkids can see them? Nick, Those are the things I think people are really focusing on. Nick, Nick Com, uh, d describe for us, in, in your view, uh, uh, how these issues have just sort of uh, uh, gone about their merry way, uh, picking up uh, supporters uh, or, or uh, uh, protesters against their movement over the last several weeks. Well, people, thank you. First of all, Bruce, congratulations again on your 40-year anniversary. Thank you very much. And, and it's um, great to be here. And I would say, you know, again, the conflation that Eric and you were talking about for sure is happening. I mean, people barely even utter George Floyd's name anymore, let alone talk about police reform. The only thing that's being talked about now is whether the political candidates are truly talking about defunding the police or not. There's none of the qualified immunity issue that Eric was talking about that has all gotten lost in the noise. And, and Mike knows, I mean, yes, the protests, it's, it's certainly not as if the entire country is under rioting and looting at the moment. Thank would you, God. Would you, but would you, media, down, would, but, Nick, but let the me, media always, can, always inflates these things, makes them seem bigger than they are. But again, I think the big issue here, Bruce, is I don't think when you see whether it's Chicago and pulling down or trying to pull down the Christopher Columbus statue yesterday or what's going on in Portland or flare-ups that are happening around the country, I don't think the average independent voter is sitting there watching that and going, gosh, you know what? This really makes me want to vote for the Democrats. 
Does the does the president, however, uh, have an opportunity to maybe clarify these issues, or is it impossible for him to do so in a political climate? Because he he gravitated uh, to the Antifa, he agrad, agra, uh, gravitated uh, to the most violent elements that were out there, and and he and although he spent a day talking about George Floyd and talking about some uh, police reforms. Uh, he has not used the bully pulpit to sort of address those issues, which I think probably have maybe uh, support within 90 percent of the American people. But he, he's going after the bad guys because of the violence uh, that uh, that are associated with them. So he, he, ra- he raises their their uh, their stock. Well, because we're four months from an election, Bruce, less than four months, and it's already being defined. And part of what he is clearly coming down on the side of is law and order. And specifically, I mean, even what's going on in Portland with the deploying of federal troops specifically uh-huh. to protect federal property. I mean, it's it, it's amazing from a political standpoint. It has gotten the Democrats to come out and be against law enforcement. And it's allowed him to be showing that the federal government that he controls is able to maintain law and order and is the only thing standing between anarchy and um, civilized society. Michael, your response. Um, you know, I, I think that's a nice attempt to scare old people into thinking that there are marauding hordes of people coming down. The that's the media, their- Mike. It's the media. They're the ones who inflated. I conceded the point that these protests are very localized. I think you're right what you were saying about Portland, even a few blocks away. I was in Washington, D.C. before some of the earlier rioting gone on. I had dinner outside with my brother within sight of the White House. It was completely peaceful until it wasn't four blocks away. I totally get that, but the media magnifies it and it has become an issue, vanquishing the George Floyd issue, completely obliterating the whole police reform issue that, as Bruce said earlier, was something that most people could have gotten behind until well, there was looting, but until uh, there let's was rioting. I want to go back. lose a good swath of the public. I want to go back to, to Michael and your, your comment about whether or not this is about scaring uh uh, you know, o- old people uh, into thinking that uh, things are, are worse on their streets than uh, than in reality. Go ahead. Right. I mean, I, I, I think you know, Donald Trump has to come up with some message for reelection. Most of what he tried before wasn't working. So now he's on to law and order. Uh, the polls that came out this weekend, including the one today, the ABC uh, Washington Post poll actually shows that uh, Biden is doing better on the law and order issue. So I think Trump is going to have to come up with something new because, frankly, most people really aren't that focused on law and order right now. What they're focused on is, do I have a job? Am I going to have a job six months from now? Are my kids going to be able to go to school? Am I going to get to watch baseball games? Is there going to be an NFL season this fall? That's what they're focused. That's what they're talking about around the kitchen table. They're not talking about Confederate flags. They're not talking about statues. They're not talking about defunding the police. They're talking about kitchen table issues, which win elections. And right now, Trump but, is losing on all of them. But in but in some neighborhoods, and by the way, I will say uh, in in the neighborhood uh, where where I live, which is uh, in the River North area of Chicago, I mean, there are concerns because you, you know there there was uh, there was looting. Uh, on Friday night, uh, about a mile uh, north of uh, the statue problem uh, in the South Loop, uh, because people were looting a store. And again, uh, there were two people shot outside my house last night. I'm Bruce. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. 
Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back. Beyond the Beltway continues. And uh, I want to talk right now because we're getting a lot of uh, response on Facebook uh, uh, to the question I'm about to ask. And that is uh, uh, how many people saw the interview today on Fox News uh, between uh, Chris Wallace and uh, President Trump? Uh, Anybody on uh, the line with us right now? See that interview? Uh, Nick, you did. Uh, What was your response to the way that the the president uh, conducted himself, as well as Chris Wallace? I would say... You're asking me? Yes. Yeah. Um, I would say it was a home run for him, actually. Very high risk, very high reward. Uh, and he did a very good job. I mean, look, if you watch Chris Wallace with any kind of regularity, he is tough on both Democrats and Republicans. But I think he's got a particular agenda here when it came to Trump. And I, when I heard that he was going to be going on against uh, Wallace, I was quite nervous, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But he more than held his own and dealt, dealt very well with that stream of questions. The thing that I think Democrats and voters need to really ask themselves is, can they truly picture Joe Biden withstanding, let alone, you know, 10 minutes, let alone an hour of tough grilling from a questioner? They can't. You can't picture that without bursting out into laughter. Well, let's let 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 Michael Lieber respond to that. We should mention earlier in the year during the primary season, you were for Pete Buttigieg, but like a lot of uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg support, you came over to Joe Biden. But uh, are you confident that uh, he could go one on one in not only three debates, but also against uh, Chris Wallace and, and others? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, let's not forget that since last June, uh, Biden has debated against, you know, uh, 10 or fewer you know, in each of the debates, the Democratic primary debates. You know, he, he probably had eight, nine, 10 debates between June and when he wrapped up the uh, the, the nomination. Did he win, uh, any, did he he win any of them? Until James Clyborne rescued him in South Carolina. I'm like, come on. Right. Right. But the fact but the fact of the matter is in the debates. You know, everybody talks about Joe Biden and having gaffes and so forth. He didn't really, you know, he he had a couple of things where, you know, he he didn't say he didn't sound great, but there weren't any, you know, jaw dropping gaffes that he had. He has had, you know, 40 years of debating experience. And I talk about this with Nick all the time. I appreciate that he and Republicans are lowering the expectations for Joe Biden so much when it comes time for the debates and, and interviews with people like Chris Wallace and so forth, because while Joe Biden might not you know, hit a grand slam, he's going to do just fine. And if the expectations are so low, it's going to be like he hit it out of the park. Eric Cohen, your response to how the media has covered this race thus far. And uh, uh, do you have do you have concerns about uh, Joe Biden's ability to go the uh, to go uh, all the way uh, to Election Day? 
about Joe Biden's ability? No, not particularly, because like most reelection campaigns, especially one in the circumstances we have now, this is a referendum on the incumbent. And if you're actually looking at the polling data, you find that the incumbent is not particularly popular. You see that he is down in the national average to Joe Biden about eight and a half points, that you have states that should not be in play for Democrats if uh, Trump is going to win reelection, like Florida, like North Carolina. Uh, The lightest average in Iowa only has Trump up a point and a half it doesn't look particularly good. And with all due respect to Nick, calling it a home run is just, uh, to me, just partisan nonsense. I mean, Donald Trump is not the best interviewer. Neither is Joe Biden at this point. But it, go back to Bruce's question from earlier about you know the, the jumble of issues that we talked about in the last segment. Could Trump help clarify any of them? Could an average president? Probably. Donald Trump is a man completely incapable of the kind of clarity and nuance that's necessary to unjumble those things for people. And him ranting about law and order, it may have worked for Nixon in 1968, running as someone who is not currently in the office. But with all this going down under Donald Trump's watch and him saying, elect me for law and order, well, why aren't we having it right now if that's the case? It, then he should act if that's what he believes he would do. But he's not governor. doing it. He's not the mayor and he's not the governor, Eric. So then what would he be promising to do by ranting about law and order? What's the promise there? Eric, as a libertarian, do you think TV coverage and news coverage of statue toppling, rioting, and looting makes an independent voter, which I presume you would describe yourself as, does that make you and other independents gravitate to the Democrats? Yes or no? It doesn't make me, but it's not to me the question that people are actually operating on, because it seems to me that people are reviewing whether or not they want another four years of Donald Trump. And the answer to that from the polling data that we see now overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly seems to be no, they do not. And, and one Bruce, thing, by the way, just, and, one, and just Bruce, one, go ahead, Michael, and then I, uh, I want to follow up. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, to, to his point just then, um, you know, uh, in a recent interview, uh, Donald Trump was asked, what are you going to do with the second term? And he really couldn't come up with anything. And I think if pressed, most Republicans really can't come up with anything. He has no plan on coronavirus. He doesn't really have any play. You know, it's, hopefully it'll magically go away. That's his plan. So which means his plan on the economy is hopefully coronavirus will magically go away. And his plan with racial unrest and so forth is hopefully it'll just go away. What is, Bi- what is Biden's plan, it. Michael? What is Biden's plan? For any one of those well, three things. Sure. I mean, Biden's plan on uh, the coronavirus, look back at what his, you know, look back at what he and Obama did under their administration. They had a robust. Can uh, Joe Biden, was- can, but can Joe Biden do anything but look in the rearview mirror? We want a president that's going to look forward. Don't don't well, pat yourself on the back for what you did with Barack Obama on your side. What are you going to do right now? What are the significant changes that Joe Biden uh, would make if he was elected president of the United States? Okay, Simple. on coronavirus, on coronavirus, he is going to spend a lot of money on testing, tracing, and making sure that people actually wear masks and having a national coordinated effort to tackle this is how does what, he which do is it? what we need how in the does first he, place. How that, does that's he one make, thing. How does he make people wear masks? Tell me. What uh, does he do? He, he, he mandates it by law. He, he does it himself. His team does it. And people realize, hey, if I want to see football, if I want to keep my job, if my kids want to go to school – Let's do the right thing and Eric, wear masks you, when we're out around people. Eric, that's could, what he's going to do. That's going to help Joe Biden the mandate that? 
Eric Cohn, uh, Eric Cohn, your response. Could could Joe Biden my mandate you, any of the stuff that Michael just said? To my understanding, you cannot mandate that from a national level. Right. Now, I would agree, though, that the, you know, what was funny to watch was Donald Trump having an appearance about a week ago or so and wearing a mask and his peanut gallery of campaign people all on Twitter saying just how manly he looks and how fantastic it is, which, <laughs> you know, to me reads that, you know, they finally got him to do it and they want him to think it looks good. So he'll keep doing it because it's a good idea for him to set an example and do that, which gives you an idea of just what kind of a, uh, a mess that that can campaign may very well be in replacing its campaign manager now with someone with more experience. I don't think it's a good sign for them. And there are such simple things that Trump could do that could be helpful, which is why to suggest that, you know, oh, things will get better as we move closer to election day. They could very well get worse because Donald Trump is the least disciplined candidate I think I've ever witnessed. What's a simple thing he could do in your view? I just from the beginning, he could have just adopted the procedure of wearing a mask, not trying to turn in the it future, into the culture war do? issue, which in he the always future, fights on. In the future, let's let's not look in the rearview mirror. In the future, what could he do if 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 he were to call up after the in show the future, tonight? He could say, start doing that right do? now. Okay. I think that would be something that he could posit that he could start doing right now in terms of trying to set a good example. As a libertarian, I'm always wary of these looking to the president as some kind of great figure to lead us. But people do, and he can set a good example, and he should start doing it. Nick, one thing second, I want to to follow up to Nick, because Nick, you said uh, that the president, you thought he hit a home run today. I I disagree with that. Uh, I thought he he really screwed up on the question when he made that when he made the charge that Joe Biden has said that uh, no, he, he wants to Bruce. defund the police. No, he didn't. No, well, no, in, he didn't. in my in, no, in, in all right, let, let me can I ask my question? Can I ask my question? In my view, he did. Because I, I don't believe that Joe Biden has actually said that he wants to defund the police. So my question go back, to, go, go back go and watch the point when Wallace cuts away and shows the little segment that he has after that yes. portion of the interview. Hang right. on in which he acknowledges that Biden's platform talks about redirecting resources away from police departments to other functions that can perform those responsibilities. Does any of that make sense? Does any any of that make sense to you? Bruce, you may not want to call that defunding the police. That is defunding the police. That is what he was saying. When they came with the papers and they showed them to him, did they have the right paper that showed that? No, they didn't. They didn't. And the fact that they focused, that the mainstream media focused on that one issue as the only, ooh, Trump really screwed it up. An hour interview? I mean, Mike is kidding himself and your listeners if he thinks that Joe Biden could do five minutes of that kind of an interview. It's a joke, Mike. It's Mike, a joke. Mike, follow up on the issue of defense. Follow I just, up. I, I want to ask, ask Michael right now. Uh, on, on whether or not uh, above and beyond whether or not Joe Biden could could withstand uh, that type of pressure, we don't know yet because it's been a long time since he's done it. My question to you, Michael, is: Does the the issue of uh, defunding the police is that a bumper sticker? Whether it's right or wrong, is that a bumper sticker uh, that Joe Biden uh, can withstand? Uh, well, it, it's not something that he's for. He hasn't campaigned on it. He's explicitly rejected it. And let's not forget that defunding the police, who, whoever came up with that, uh, has the worst marketing folks ever, because it's not about you know defunding the police. Like, hey, we're going to get rid of all the police. It's, hey, some of the money that we spend on police, you know, doing 
speeding ticket stops or dealing with uh, mentally ill people. I, let's let's give that to other people who could probably do it better so that the police can be out there stopping murderers and rapists and robbers. And Mike, what did the Michael, I agree. Michael, I agree with you. Michael, I agree with you that that's a that that's a bad that that's a bad uh, uh, bumper sticker. But I will tell you, uh, it it's it's a it's a line that's sticking to Joe Biden. It's not sticking to anybody else. Now, again, you can wish it away, but somebody said it. It got affixed to Joe Biden, and Joe Biden is going to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, responding to it. And and if he comes out strongly against it, then I think he may run into some problems with his, uh, uh, you know, left wing or his his most left wing base. And we'll talk about that when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. And as I mentioned, I was uh, off last week. Paul Lisnick was sitting in for me as I was uh, uh, nursing my tongue after a little operation that I had. It's uh, a little better this evening. Hopefully uh, not not too much slurring of my uh, my. my comments tonight. Uh, but you know, last week I had the uniqueness. I could, I could listen to it on the radio. I could listen to it or I could watch it on Facebook and I could also watch it on YouTube. And also I could watch it, you know, and listen to it later on as well, which I always can do. But one thing I noticed last week is that if you are those, if you're watching, uh, the show, sometimes when you watch it on YouTube, uh, there is some delays, there's some freezing that comes up. But uh, whenever I flipped over and watched it on Facebook Live, uh, it was it was like really live. There wasn't a lot of delay, and so uh, I guess my advice would be, unless I just uh, you know caught it on a bad night. If you want, if you're if you're watching this program, uh, you can watch it on Facebook Live. And again, if you don't do it on Facebook Live and you want to become a friend, you go to Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont. Ask to be a friend because that's where you can see the live version of the show. Of course, when it's all over, you can always go to beyondthebeltway.com. You can see it there as well as we do it live, but also uh, you can see that on delay. And, of course, uh, there's no such thing as missing the program because uh, uh, we're up there right away. As soon as the show is over, you can go back either to the Facebook Live or go to YouTube or go to beyondthebeltway.com, and you can find it. And uh, if you want to listen to just the audio portion of the show, you can go to Spotify and uh, a lot of the other uh, 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 audio sites and, and hear the program as well. So there's lots of way to see and hear the program. And again, uh, just a little uh, observation I made uh, last week. 
Uh, right at this moment, I'd like to take some time and let each of our guests take a moment to introduce themselves and tell us uh, why they are here tonight. And we begin with uh, a relative uh, new favorite of this program, Michael Lieber. Go ahead, Michael. Uh, thanks, Bruce. I'm Mike Lieber. Uh, I'm an attorney here in Chicago. I'm the principal of my own law firm, uh, Lieber Law Group. Uh, I'm a born and raised and proud uh, native Hoosier, uh, but I've lived in Chicago for about 25 years and uh, just love talking politics. Uh, I'm an absolute political junkie, so it's great to be back on the show. Eric Cohen, tell us who you are. Along with Joe Kaiser, I host Sources with Knowledge on News Talk 560 WIND in Chicago, 3 p.m. on Sundays. You can tune in there or you can look up Sources with Knowledge on wherever your local favorite podcast feed is. And uh, my day job, I am the Director of Communications at the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I also encourage you to check out our Acton Line podcast. I had a great conversation with David French uh, that just uh, posted last Wednesday about the Supreme Court term. So I encourage you to check that out. And Nick Com. Nick? Yes, thank you, Bruce. I'm Nick Com. I'm the founder and president of a firm called Reputation Partners. We're a communications consulting firm based in Chicago, working across the country for corporations, universities, not-for-profits, and individuals with reputation challenges and opportunities. Usually around this time, every four years, I'm getting very excited because I'm on my way to the Democratic convention and or the Republican convention. Uh, it's going to be somewhat subdued in so far as the Democrats are concerned. That looked like where there was going to be a lot of action, at least a couple of months ago. Uh, Michael Lieber, does the, uh, does the Democratic Party, uh, do they lose uh, any significant amount of uh, uh, support or recognition or, or, or media focus by not having a full-fledged convention this year? I think there's probably some drop off. Uh, you know, every every four years we do see the candidates get some kind of bounce uh, in the polls coming out of the uh, uh, out of the convention. Um, I don't know that we're going to see that with either, because whatever happens in Jacksonville with the Republicans is going to be, you know, perhaps outside, somewhat subdued. Um, we we really just don't know. But uh, but yeah, you know, I think. Uh, you know, yes, there are those of us who are political junkies who watch a lot of it. For most people, maybe they'll watch the presidential candidate give their speech. Presumably, Joe Biden will do that in some form or fashion. Hopefully, the Democrats are going to be kind of creative with how they do it and create a little bit of energy. He's also going to be introducing his vice presidential running mate, uh, you know, shortly before that. So, yeah, you know, I think there's going to be a little bit of a hit, but I think it's probably going to affect both parties, both parties. Probably pretty equal. Nick, come. How would you say the the Republican convention is going to be in Jacksonville? It's been moved there. Uh, it's a month later. Uh, uh, is is the big news story there going to be how many people are going to be dropping dead? Isn't that what the media is going to be looking for? <laughs> well, I think the bigger issue is going to be whether the arena is full. That seemed to be the uh, unfortunately the fatal error in Tulsa. Yeah, uh, and one of the reasons from what you can see of why Brad Pascal was replaced as the campaign manager with four months to go. Look, we know that Trump really thrives on having these rallies. That's where he personally gets a lot of energy and there's a lot that happens there. So this is really going to be a challenge, I think, for both candidates. I mean, will Trump deliver his acceptance speech from a half full arena? Will Joe Biden accept the nomination from his basement? Uh, Nick, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Eric. Uh, Joe Jorgensen, the the Libertarian Party candidate for president of the United States, was a guest on this program several weeks ago. When I introduced you as a Libertarian, 
Um, are you a member of the Libertarian Party, or is is Joe Jorgensen someone that you would consider voting for, or where do you put yourself and your political vote right at the moment? Uh, I'm a small L Libertarian, not a big L Libertarian, much uh, as it disappoints me. We are in a binary two-party system mm-hmm. where the third parties, as I forget the thinker who's had the line, but it's a great line that third parties in America primarily have their effect by being like bees. They sting once and then they die. Um, the inability of the Libertarian Party to nominate somebody of substance like Justin Amash, which I think would have actually been something interesting, uh, is a disappointment this time around. But I would, even if Amash were the candidate, I would expect that that person is going to get a uh, much smaller share of the vote than Gary Johnson did four years ago, in part because you had the two most unpopular candidates in the history of their parties running in Trump and Hillary Clinton. And uh, while Donald Trump is still one of the most unpopular candidates for president in American history, Joe Biden is just not. So a lot of those objection votes that uh, Gary Johnson got are probably going to go to Joe Biden this time. And I think we're seeing that in polling data where people who dislike both candidates overwhelmingly break to Joe Biden. Uh, Nick, would you uh, respond to that analysis by Eric? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, there's no question that Donald Trump is a polarizing figure and that Hillary uh, Clinton was much more disliked than Joe Biden was and is. Um, Again, but you can only hide a candidate in the basement, especially one that is as infirm as he is, for so long. I, I understand Mike's point about lowering expectations for the debates, but if he comes out, we saw, look, in the last debates in 2012, that first debate that Mitt Romney really wiped the floor with uh, Barack Obama because he wasn't taking it seriously. You know, you saw uh, Romney pick up a number of points and then um, at the next and debate, what Obama woke up and came back and, and did a lot better. I think this is an unprecedented election. There's no question that the enthusiasm for Trump and against Trump, no matter who the Democratic candidate is, are very, very strong. That's why what's going to happen here in these next four months. Plus, look, four months ago, we barely knew what coronavirus was. This is the kind of year it is. There's too many wild cards between now and then for Mike or others to basically be doing a touchdown dance in the 20 yard line. Mm -hmm. Well, also, uh, you know, you're you're right about that. But the other issue is that, or or when it when when coronavirus did pop up, the news media basically said, okay, here's the issue where Trump can maybe get back in the ball game, uh, erase a lot of the errors uh, that ha- that he has created, at least uh, perceived uh, errors uh, uh, amongst moderate Republicans and suburban women, as that was generally described. And uh, again, uh, no one seems to think that uh, the president has seized the coronavirus issue in any significant way where he's really moved the needle. In fact, people would say that maybe he's lost ground on that. But Bruce, would Bruce, you no uh, 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 let me just, well, go ahead. Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. No I'm going to ask my question. It's an uncontrollable virus. This whole earlier argument about masks. You've got over 80 plus percent acceptance of mask wearing across party lines. Okay, we've got similar numbers who are against masks, who believe that they saw Elvis at the Kmart last week, you know, who believe the earth is flat, who believe that we never walked on the moon. I I want to go to I want to go to Michael and then I virus (laughs) and we're testing more than ever. Okay, it's these are false issues. It doesn't matter who the president is. They would not have been able to so-called control this uncontrollable virus. I I want to go. I want to go to Michael to let him respond. 
and then you're going to come back to me, and I'm going to finish the question I started to ask. Michael, go ahead. Thanks, Bruce. Coronavirus, in a counterintuitive way, served up re-election to Donald Trump on a platter. Had he taken action in January, shutting down people coming into the United States, not just from China, but anybody who had been in, in China in the last six months, anybody from anywhere, had he done that? Had he started robust testing? Had he put in the War Powers Act to produce masks and ventilators? All these things. We actually, when everything kind of went downhill, when everything shut down in uh, mid-March, we actually saw Donald Trump's poll numbers pop because people in a crisis rally around the president. Believe it or not, if you go back to Jimmy Carter, right after the hostages were taken, his poll numbers popped. Joe Biden, by the way, was saying nothing. to give somebody a chance. But the problem was... We, we saw with Trump what we knew all along. This is a guy who is incapable of change, incapable of leadership, and simply doesn't really want to do the job. He just wants to have the trappings of the presidency. Here's, he's not willing to do the work. Okay. Here is the question I want to ask, and we're going to get everybody give everybody a couple of minutes to think about the answer, and we're going to come back to you, Nick. But the question that I'm asking is, at this moment, the debate is whether or not schools should open or not. You have those on the local level. Some say it should. Some say it shouldn't. You have people at the CDC and uh, other organizations, the American Pediatric Association, saying, yes, open the schools. Uh, it's a debate. I don't think it's a clear line between Republicans or Democrats or even liberals and conservatives. But when we come back, the question to you, Nick, is, is this the issue where Donald Trump can get back in the ballgame? Back shortly. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. And again, if you're... uh, Watching the program either on Facebook or on YouTube or uh, on WYCC, not WYCC, uh, Comcast Television Chicago. I mean, uh, uh, going in and out of our breaks now, we are showing video or showing uh, clips uh, from various affiliate markets all over the United States that carry this program. And a little fun game you can play each and every week as you can see if you can identify uh, the part of the country that we are showing. Uh, let's now go back to Nick Com. My question to you, Nick, uh, I'll let you come up first with this one. Um, Does the debate over schools give the president an opportunity to step up, articulately lead the nation in making this important decision? Yes or no? Yes, he does. And again, you've got the American Association of Pediatrics. You've got uh, who are saying that schools need to be reopened. There's study after study about the children that are being lost 
for it could be more than just a year that they've been out of school and distance learning, so to speak. That's they need to get back into school. This hybrid model, a working parent. I've got working parents who work for me. What are they going to do with two days on, three days off? It's nonsense. Get the kids back. The number of children who've actually gotten sick from this virus are infinitesimal. Now, yes, I understand that you can have asymptomatic carrying and all of that, and you've got older adults that are teaching them. Test them. Protect them. Okay? But get the kids back in school. And if, the, if Donald Trump came out in favor of that, as he has even more strongly, I think that's a winning issue for him. Michael Lieber, my question to you, does this represent an opportunity for Joe Biden? If he, if he were to clearly articulate his position on this, would this solidify his alleged lead in the campaign? Uh, yeah, I, I think it would. Uh, I, I don't know that there's any perfect answer. Um, first of all, as a parent of three kids who are in, uh, you know, going into twins going into 11th grade and a seventh uh, kid going into seventh grade, like pretty much all parents, I want my kids physically in school five days a week uh, for their benefit, for my benefit, for everybody's benefit. I don't think that there's really much debate about what people want. Everybody wants the same thing. I don't want to have to wear a mask when I go to the grocery store. I do. I don't want to, but I do. Uh, so, you know, I think if Joe Biden says, look, the answer is let's listen to the scientists if, if the answer for right now, for at least the first semester of this fall, this fall school year is, you know, half on, half off, which is obviously not optimal, as Nick just said. But in the meantime, let's do the work to get rid of COVID. So come January, kids can be back in school full time, five days a week. Uh, you know, that would be a great answer. Should we then, to Eric Cohen, should we basically say that the school districts of the country, not no, nothing from the nation, nothing from the state, the school districts around the United States, maybe you do it by state, but I want to think about the school districts. Do the experts there, upon consultation with scientists, make the decision about their schools? And everybody, hands off. That's the decision. And, 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 and people, if your kids go to that school, you have to abide by it. Is, is that an answer that's reasonable now, uh, Eric? So as a parent of a seven and a nine-year-old, I want to echo what Mike said about, yes, absolutely, I want to get them back into schools. But what I think is interesting here is, you know, we're talking about this from a federal, a national perspective. The answer to this is not a nationalized answer. Right. And just saying simply, we should open schools or schools should be closed or we should have a hybrid model belies the fact that this is an enormous country with incredibly different places. And it is the similar to the problem we had in the beginning of this, where New York City had it particularly bad. And there was this kind of reverse, um, uh, the word escapes me at the moment, this, this reverse problem where we wanted everybody to live as if they lived in New York City. The answer for New York City, for Chicago, may be radically different than the answer for Garrison, Montana. And the right answer is to tell those local people closest to the issue to be smart about it and make the decisions for themselves and stop making national declarations as if the federal government should know the answer to this. They don't. They shouldn't be proclaiming on it. It should be a local issue. Nick, uh, should should the president uh, be more clear in, in that uh, schools will make the individual decision? I mean, the president likes the idea of everybody going back to school, but he doesn't have the power to dictate that. 
But my question is, if he takes the response uh, that he did uh, insofar as opening up a state, he basically said, we're going to let the governors decide. In this particular case, he's sending it back again to uh, either the states or, I believe, uh, the individual school districts and say, we're going to let you guys make the decision. We know that you don't want to kill the kids. You're going to make intelligent decisions. You're educators. We're going to let you make that decision. And by that, does he not wash his hands of whatever happens, whether it's good or bad? He's he's passing it back to whoever should have it, which is the closest entity to the school children. Yeah, I mean, look, it's as Eric was talking about earlier in terms of masking and all of that. It is a bully pulpit. He can set an example. I think in this case, he can do what he is doing and needs to do even more, which is encouraging schools to open wherever possible. And it, Eric is right. It's, this is a big country. It's not a monolith. That's also why you don't want to do things like nationalize mask requirements because it is a different country and you've got different issues in different places and you do have to leave it up to folks. He'd be quite the hypocrite. (laughs) And I know that some people view that he is often a hypocrite, but he would be quite the hypocrite if he suddenly dictated that everybody in the country had to follow his direction on schools real. Michael, quick answer to you. Will we see, will we see perhaps unions uh, rearing their head, whether it's a good head or an ugly head, depending on your political position, will they be standing in the schoolhouse door saying, don't open these schools or not? Very possibly. I wouldn't be surprised. You already are. Uh, I, 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 th- I think it makes more sense for the school boards uh, to work with the teachers and the parents to make the right decision. Uh, and, and I agree with Eric. Uh, the right decision in Chicago or New York may be very different from Shelby, Montana, someplace in Montana. So let the school board make the decision. Let the school board and the scientists make the decision, not the union leaders. Everybody agree on that? I think we do. Yes. On that point, I want to thank Michael Lieber, our Democrat. Our conservative Republican has been Nick Calm. Our libertarian has been Eric Cohn. I thank you very much. Our thanks to Andrew Marshall for their assistance in the production of of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Evanston, Illinois.